The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 59, January 2021, Number 7. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Thomasine Berg in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6200 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 155, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB Reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 518-906-1820 and choose Option 8. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 518-906-1820. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L Copyright 2020 American Council of the Blind Eric Bridges Executive Director Sharon Lovering Editor 1703 North Beauregard Street Suite 420 Alexandria, Virginia 22311 Table of Contents President's Message, New Year's Reflections by Dan Spoon Pull out your calendars and update the convention dates by Janet Dickelman Explore, Elevate, and Achieve Apply to become a 2021 recipient of the DKM First Timers Award by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Rhythms of Leadership Apply to become a 2021 ACB slash J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Call for nominees for 2021 ACB Awards by Deb Trevino and Debbie Rozier. The BOP seeks to award excellence by Deb Cook Lewis. I Don't Want to Go to That Stupid School for the Blind by Dr. Ronald E. Milliman. 
My Mother Was a Braille Transcriber by Jean Mann Help Revive Braille by Paul Edwards The Joys and Challenges of Learning Braille In Memoriam, Lawrence W. Larry Turnbull, July 31, 1970 through October 31, 2020 Passings Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to announce-subscribe at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org. Dot org slash m a i l m a n slash l i s t i n f o slash a n n o u n c e and type your email address and name where indicated. ACB Radio Mainstream has blindness related news you can use at www acbradio.org slash m-a-i-n-s-t-r-e-a-m Keep up with the HAPS when affiliates stream conventions at www.acbradio.org slash l-i-v-e President's Message New Year's Reflections by Dan Spoon Happy New Year! We are in a unique situation. 2020 was a year that will be studied by historians for the next century. This new year gives us a chance to not only look forward, but an opportunity to look back. Since I shared with all of you our 2020 resolutions last January, we thought it might be interesting to review them and put them in context with the events of this year. So here's my President's message from January 2020 with some current observations. Happy New Year! Wow, it is hard to believe that it is 2020. We are 20% through the 21st century. I feel like it was just a few days ago that Leslie and I were singing along to the Prince song, Party Like It's 1999, at the Howl at the Moon piano bar in downtown Orlando. Twenty years ago, Bill Clinton was president. The iPhone had not been invented. There was no Facebook or Twitter. I had a full head of brown hair and even experimented with a perm. There was only very limited audio description on VHS tapes from WGBH. Paul Edwards was the ACB president. Michael Jordan had retired for the second time. And the disaster of 9-11 was still 20 months away. I shared these memories with you to reflect on how much changes in our lives. Wow, party and dance inside a bar. I vaguely remember those days. Leslie and I have not been inside a bar or restaurant in over nine months, except to order food to eat outside. 
We worry each day about the health and safety of our family and friends. We are so very proud of our ACB family and thankful for the ACB community calls. We track COVID-19 counts like sports scores. We continue to enjoy life, and I'm still looking for a hair donation for my next perm. Each year, Leslie and I take a few hours to make our New Year's resolutions. We make resolutions in seven different categories. Family, friends, community service, education, health, finance, and fun. Of course, you can create your own categories, but I think this is a good exercise, and we have lots of fun with it. So here it goes. My 2020 New Year's Resolutions Family My 87-year young parents have recently moved downtown to Orlando Lutheran Towers into an independent living apartment and sold their house in our neighborhood to our nephew, Sam. We really miss the convenience of an easy walk to visit them, but my resolution is to make the effort to visit them in person each week and call them each day to check in and catch up. They are a treasure and our biggest supporters. My parents both celebrated their 88th birthdays. We didn't get to visit them in person for over four months. I call them each morning, but my weekly visits have been limited to once a month. It has been hard, but their spirits are high, and Mom has renewed energy since she received a pacemaker. Hope all of your families are doing okay. Friends my longtime work colleague, Mike Gallagher, and I have not spoken in over two years. How does this happen? My resolution is to reach out to Mike and schedule lunch. I reached out to Mike in March when the virus got started. He has not gotten in touch, but we hope and pray he is doing well. I'm going to give him a call this weekend. Community Service I've been thinking about this one for several years. I would like to join the Lions. We may need your help on this one. I have reached out a couple of times with phone calls, but no one calls me back. Please push me to make it happen this year. I have not done it. My bad. ACB Lions, I'm officially asking for your help to get it done this year. Education. My friends with ACB Radio will love this one. My resolution is to load Zoom on my computer and the Zoom app on my iPhone and learn how to use them. Yes, we did it. We have a Zoom studio set up in our living room with table, computer, headphones, microphone, lighting, and background. Thanks to all those who helped get us over the finish line. Health. My resolution is to start back up my morning walks, get back on the elliptical, and lose 20 pounds. I'm halfway there. I've lost 10 pounds, but I'm not doing a good job of exercising on the elliptical. We are doing a good job of walking the neighborhood. It's our only chance to leave the house on a regular basis. It's wonderful to spend time in the fresh air and say hello to neighbors and friends. Finance. Leslie and I work hard to budget our money. We have been avid listeners of the Dave Ramsey radio show for 15 years. We have no debt and use cash in our money envelopes for restaurants, groceries, yard services, and our personal money. However, we keep trying to save money for a new roof, and we keep stealing out of the fund for trips to Key West. My resolution is to save the roof money this year before the next hurricane. The good news is that we really controlled our vacation travel this year. Thanks, COVID. Unfortunately, the fence blew over and we had to buy a new fence. 
They say our new white vinyl fence looks beautiful, but we still need to save some more for the new roof. It's so much fun owning a 30-year-old house. Now we just need to keep our ACB auction spending under control. Fun. We have been working hard on all our ACB responsibilities. We love the organization and it brings us great satisfaction, sense of purpose, and wonderful friendships. Unfortunately, there are no set hours for ACB work and it is easy to get consumed with the work at hand. My resolution is to take off several weekends each month to enjoy life outside the ACB bubble. Recently, we took off for several days and traveled to the beach to relax, listen to the sounds of the waves, and share time with our friends. It did us a world of good. Remember, we will do a better job if we allow ourselves some time off to recharge our batteries. This is hard. We're trying. We did take a trip to Key West after the convention, and it was wonderful. Please try to take some time to have some fun and relax. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Laughter is the best medicine, and we certainly need each other to get through 2021. Once again, we wish everyone a fantastic new year and look forward to seeing our friends on Zoom and ACB Radio at the Virtual DC Leadership Conference and the 60th Annual ACB Conference and Convention. Maybe I'll try that perm one more time. Does anyone have some hair I can borrow? Pull out your calendars and update the convention dates. By Janet Dickelman Breaking news! Convention dates have been changed to July 16th through July 23rd. Due to the recent announcement of the dates for the 2021 Olympics, we are moving a week forward to enable convention attendees to enjoy the Olympics. Primetime Olympics broadcasts will have audio description. Our convention planning committee, made up of the program chair for each ACB special interest affiliate and committee, recently held the first convention planning meeting. Several groups have already begun working on their sessions. The 2021 ACB Conference and Convention will host some very exciting programs. I will work closely with the committee to make sure sessions are spread out as much as possible in order to stream all sessions on ACB Radio. Please keep in mind this is a very preliminary list and is subject to change, and of course there will be many additions. Here are the tidbits of information I have thus far. Environmental Access and Transportation Committees. Once again, EAC and Transportation will join forces. This year, they will focus on pedestrian safety issues. ACB Government Employees and American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys, ACBGE and AAVIA, will conduct a joint session on legal issues surrounding employment. Braille Revival League. BRL plans a session about the NLS e-readers, plus a session with several other affiliates on Braille graphics. ACB Women ACBW will host the Always Energizing Yoga with Leslie Spoon, and their session featuring two inspiring blind women will be renamed Sister Power Happy Hour. Rehab Issues Task Force This year, join in on a panel discussion featuring several state rehab commissioners. They will discuss pending legislation and let us know how we can support their important work. International Relations Committee 
IRC will host its ever-popular Voices from Around the World, featuring our international guests. They also hope to join in with other affiliates to sponsor programming. Friends in Art FIA will host the Showcase of the Performing Arts on Friday evening, July 16th. Opening general session will be on Sunday, July 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, with daily general sessions Monday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and on Friday the 23rd from 10.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. We will read the convention newspaper every morning and have the Convention Connect shows for 30 minutes just before and after general sessions. The ACB auction will be on Tuesday the 20th, and the banquet will be held on Thursday the 22nd. The remainder of the week, we will hold An Evening with ACB, featuring programming of interest to convention attendees. And on Friday evening, July 23rd, we will host an Olympics opening ceremony gathering. Stay tuned for details. We will once again have our virtual exhibit hall and our audio-described tour channels. Staying in touch. The conference and convention announce list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention-subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2020 convention, you do not need to subscribe to the list. Convention Contacts 2021 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman 601-331-7740 AMDUO at BELLSOUTH dot net 2021 Advertising and Sponsorships Anthony Stevens 202-559-2045 A-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S at A-C-B dot org For any other convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, 651-428-5059 or via email J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com. Explore, Elevate, and Achieve Apply to become a 2021 recipient of the DKM First Timers Award by Kenneth Semyon Sr., Durward K. McDaniel Fund Committee Chair. Come along with us on a new leadership journey as we take things higher in 2021. We're making exciting plans to join in solidarity to celebrate together throughout the 60th Annual ACB Conference and Convention in a virtual setting. If you are an ACB member who has never attended an in-person ACB convention and you meet the criteria below, we invite you to elevate your commitment and participate in ACB's Primary Leadership Development Program. You have the opportunity to attend virtually in 2021 and meet us in person at the ACB Conference and Convention in Omaha in 2022. Continue reading to get the scoop on how to apply to be considered. To be eligible for consideration, each applicant must meet specific requirements, which include being age 18 or older, blind or visually impaired, an ACB member in good standing, 
current on membership dues, and never have attended a previous in-person ACB National Conference and Convention. Another step of eligibility for applicants will be the expectation of undergoing a 30-minute interview with a team of DKM committee members during mid-April. In addition, two letters must be submitted for each applicant, a letter of application from the interested member and a letter of recommendation from a state or special interest affiliate president. Applicants are encouraged to be sure that they meet the award criteria before requesting that their affiliate president write and submit a letter of recommendation on their behalf. The letter of application should begin with the complete name, physical address, email address containing the applicant's name, along with a home and cell number. Then introduce yourself to the committee and include reasons for applying for the award, a brief summary of education and experience related to your community service, contributions to the respective affiliate and or chapter, and the significance of the first-timer's award to your personal or career development. The letter of recommendation should include the applicant's leadership contributions and potential. During 2021, the DKM First Timers Program and ACB will honor recipients by funding the General Registration Fee, Leadership Institute, Reception, Banquet Tickets and other activities determined by the Committee and ACB's Board of Directors. Optional tours and other fun activities are not covered by the program. The responsibilities of each recipient include, but are not limited to, attending the full week of conference and convention activities from Friday, July 16 through Friday, July 23, participating in daily general sessions and the keys to the convention seminar, along with special interest and committee seminars, while interacting with ACB leaders and fellow members. The application and supporting letter should be submitted separately, the applicant submits his or her letter of application, and the affiliate president submits her or his letter of recommendation to Kelly Gask, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org, and must be received in the ACB National Office no later than April 5th. Incomplete applications will not be considered. The DKM committee will select the 2021 first-timers during the latter part of April. Eligible applicants will be notified shortly thereafter. The selection process will conclude with two recipients being awarded as DKM first-timers, one from east and one from west of the Mississippi River. The DKM committee reserves the right to recognize two recipients from the east or west if there are no qualified applicants from one of the specified areas. All questions should be sent to DKM Chair Kenneth Semien Sr., S-E-M-I-E-N dot K at A-T-T dot net, or dial 409-866-5838. We look forward to offering support to every applicant in an effort to ensure a rewarding experience. Rhythms of Leadership Apply to become a 2021 ACB slash J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow by Kenneth Semien Sr. There is a progressive rhythm in motion within ACB and more members are tuning in and getting in step. Are you interested in sharing your abilities and skill sets for the greater good of ACB? Do you have a desire to contribute in an effort to make a lasting impact on the lives of Americans who are blind or visually impaired? 
Do you believe that the combined efforts of all ACB members could cause ACB to become the premier venue for people who have experienced vision loss? If you answered yes to any of the above questions, read below to confirm your eligibility and necessary commitment to become a member of the 2021 class of ACB slash J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows. For the sixth consecutive year, J.P. Morgan Chase will provide full access to the ACB Conference and Convention for five ACB members who have demonstrated leadership abilities. This year's recipients will enjoy the ACB Conference and Convention in a virtual setting and will join us in person for 2022 in Omaha. Get connected with previous classes of leadership fellows and meet other leaders from around the country. As a leadership fellow, you will be introduced to tools for success through participation in informative workshops, seminars, and leadership development sessions that are sure to prepare you to serve well in future leadership roles within ACB, your local chapter, and your state or special interest affiliate. To be a qualified applicant, you are required to meet specific criteria, including but not limited to the following three elements. 18 years of age or older, blind or visually impaired, an ACB member in good standing, current on membership dues. Eligible applicants must be endorsed by the president of their state or special interest affiliate. Applicants are encouraged to be sure that they meet the award criteria before requesting that their affiliate president write and submit a letter of recommendation on their behalf. The application process for this award also consists of the submission of two letters and participating in an interview with a team of DKM committee members. Your letter of application should begin with your complete name, physical address, email address containing the applicant's name, along with a home and cell number. Then introduce yourself to the committee by including objectives in applying for the leadership award, a brief summary of your education and relevant experience number of years of membership in ACB, as well as previous conventions attended, if any, description of one's role as a leader and examples of what you bring to ACB. The affiliate president's letter of recommendation should address the applicant's contributions to the affiliate, ACB, and community organizations and describe the applicant's demonstrated leadership skills and leadership potential. Half-hour interviews will be scheduled for mid-April. All recipients will receive complimentary general conference and convention registration. Recipients are expected to attend the convention from Friday, July 16th through Friday, July 23rd, and to participate actively in all designated convention activities, including the daily general sessions, special interest presentations, seminars, and workshops. Send application documents to Kelly Gask in the ACB National Office, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org. Deadline for receipt is April 5th. Selected awardees will be notified during the latter part of April. Questions regarding the application process and required documentation should be directed to DKM Chair Kenneth Semyon Sr., S-E-M-I-E-N dot K at A-T-T dot net. Other beneficial information will be shared once your application has been received. Apply today to take advantage of this grand privilege. Call for nominees for 2021 ACB Awards. 
by Deb Trevino and Debbie Rozier. The awards committee is searching for nominees who are deserving of national recognition for their work in ACB or the blindness community. Awards will be presented at the 2021 Virtual Conference and Convention. Candidates will be judged on the quality of nomination letters and how well the candidate meets the spirit of the award for which they are being nominated. Please remember that the candidate must have national influence. Thank you for assisting the awards committee by submitting worthy candidates and clearly identifying the ways your nominee meets the criteria for the award you believe they are worthy of receiving. The deadline for nominations is April 2, 2021. This means letters must be received electronically by 11.59 p.m. Eastern on that day. Please email nomination letters to Deb Trevino, H-O-O-K-S-A-N-D-N-E-E-D-L-E-S at L-I-V-E dot com and Debbie Rozier, D-E-L-R-O-S-E at I-C-L-O-U-D dot com. We are the co-chairs of the ACB Awards Committee. You can help us out by getting the nominations to us as early as possible. Once we receive your nomination letters, committee members must review and score the entries submitted. This work takes time, and we will need every minute of it to get the job done. The committee looks forward to the challenge of selecting worthy recipients for the 2021 ACB Awards, and we need your support to complete our important work. Tell us about these special people and how they meet the criteria listed below. Remember that these are national awards and nominees will be judged accordingly. The Durward K. McDaniel Ambassador Award is given in recognition of a blind person who may or may not be a member of a blindness organization, but who has, through his or her personal characteristics and activities, unrelated to his or her employment, contributed most to the acceptance and understanding of blind people as capable, contributing members of the community. The George Card Award is given to an individual who has dedicated his or her life to work with and for people who are blind, making a real difference and improving quality of life for providing leadership and being a positive role model. The James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award is periodically given to individuals who have made important contributions which have advanced opportunities for the blind community. This award can be given to an individual or an organization. The Robert S. Bray Award is given to a person who has made a contribution for improving library technology or communication devices. It could also be given for expanding access for all blind people or for making opportunities within the mainstream media. The Marjorie G. Beeman Volunteer Recognition Award honors individuals who have given tirelessly of their efforts, resources, expertise, or time toward improving the quality of life in the blindness community. The achievements, accomplishments, or service on which the nominations are based must reflect ACB's vision and mission. This award may be given to a deserving individual or organization. The Affiliate Outreach Award is based on a recommendation by an affiliate president which recognizes a local chapter for a new outreach program. This program must have a measurable outcome. The Affiliate Growth Awards are based on the greatest increase in membership as determined by the 2020-2021 Membership Reports.
Please submit your nominations right away. Late submissions will not be considered. If you have any questions, please call Deb Trevino at 302-286-7276 or Debbie Razier at 610-295-7929. Thanks in advance for submitting nominations for our 2021 awards presentations. The BOP Seeks to Award Excellence by Deb Cook-Lewis The ACB Board of Publications proudly recognizes excellence each year with three annual writing awards. We are seeking nominations for the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award, the Vernon Henley Media Award, and the Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award. The Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award was instituted in 1970 and will be awarded based on the following criteria. An article must have been first published between April of 2020 and March of 2021. All articles published in the ACB Braille Forum in all forms and formats are automatically eligible for consideration. Individual articles published by any ACB affiliate in its official publication may also be nominated by the affiliate's president or editor. Articles which have not appeared in the ACB Braille Forum in all forms and formats may be submitted in any format. The article must demonstrate excellence in writing, novelty of approach, and or originality of the subject matter. The author of the winning article will receive a plaque and a cash prize of $100 at the annual ACB Conference and Convention. The Vernon Henley Media Award is conferred based on the following criteria. The Vernon Henley Media Award is intended to be a vehicle for publicizing ACB throughout the general media and to encourage excellence and accuracy in electronic and print coverage of items relating to blindness. This award may be presented to an organization, company, or individual, either sighted or blind, who has made a positive difference in the press, whether in radio, television, electronic media, magazines, or daily newspapers, during the period encompassed by April of 2020 through March of 2021, by portraying the capabilities of people who are blind in a positive light, rather than focusing on outdated stereotypes and misconceptions. Programs and or articles written and produced specifically for a visually impaired audience, as well as those intended for the general public, are also eligible. A variety of media are eligible for nomination for the Vernon Henley Media Award. Examples may include television or radio programs, commercials or public service announcements, videos, articles from magazines, newspapers, newsletters, posters, or any other new or emerging media sources. Submissions, such as books or recurring columns or blogs from the same person, should include a synopsis and no more than three sample chapters for books and no more than three samples of the recurring columns or blogs nominated. Submissions should be accompanied by a letter of nomination as well as the sample copy of the item being nominated. Incomplete submissions will not be considered. The BOP chairperson will annually send a letter to affiliate presidents, newsletter editors, and other media markets encouraging nominations for the Vernon Henley Media Award. A plaque will be presented to the Vernon Henley Media Award recipient at the annual ACB Conference and Convention. 
The Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award will be presented based on the following criteria. The Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award is intended to promote best journalistic practices and excellence in writing in publications of ACB's state and special interest affiliates. All periodicals of ACB affiliates distributed no less than semi-annually are eligible. Nominations must be submitted by the affiliate's newsletter editor or president. Submissions must include the following. 1. Two issues of the affiliate's publication from the previous calendar year sent electronically and in hard copy in the format which the affiliate recognizes as the format which best represents its readership. 2. Answers to the following questions. A. How many members are in your affiliate? B. How often is your publication published per year? C. In what formats is your publication produced? Members of the BOP directly involved in the editorial process of any submitted publication will excuse themselves from judging slash scoring that particular publication. Criteria for judging submissions will include A. The number of contributing writers in a single issue. B. The variety of information presented in each issue. C. How well the publication portrays the affiliate. D. The quality of writing throughout the publication. E. The overall layout and presentation of the publication. A plaque will be presented to the Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award recipient at the convention. And now the fine print. All nominations must be submitted to the ACB Braille Forum editor, Sharon Lovering, with a postmark of no later than April 2, 2021. You may also submit your nomination electronically to slovering at acb.org. All submissions should be accompanied by a cover letter providing details about the nominee, including name, address, telephone number, and email address of the nominee, if known, and details about the submission, its origin, and any other pertinent information. The return address of the person making the nomination should be included in the cover letter. Members of the Board of Publications, Board of Directors, and staff and contractors of the ACB are prohibited from participating. Any individual or affiliate who has won a BOP award since 2017 is ineligible to receive the same award prior to January 1, 2022. I Don't Want to Go to That Stupid School for the Blind by Dr. Ronald E. Milliman All of my friends were in Sturgis, kids I had known since kindergarten. My whole life, all 12 years of it, was in Sturgis, Michigan. My girlfriend Kathy was in Sturgis. All the guys I hung out with were in Sturgis. I was struggling trying to keep up in school. My eyesight wasn't very good since I'd contracted Stevens-Johnson syndrome when I was eight. I could see perfectly when I went into the hospital, but when I came out several weeks later, I couldn't see very well anymore. I really worked hard and struggled my way through the sixth grade. I couldn't see the chalkboard, and it was getting really difficult, especially the math. My teacher, Mrs. Carter, suggested she and the school's principal, Mrs. Martin, meet with my parents to discuss my situation. They all met in the principal's office, but I was not included. When my parents got home, they said, Ronnie, we need to talk to you. 
I could tell from their tone of voice that it was serious. That was the tone I usually heard when I was in big trouble. They said, We just had an important meeting with your teacher, Mrs. Carter, and your school's principal, Mrs. Martin, and we all agreed that it is time for you to go to a special school for kids like you. My reaction was, what do you mean, kids like me? What have I done that is so bad that I have to go to a special school? I thought they were sending me to reform school for really bad kids. I hadn't done anything that bad. Oh, I sat behind Kathy and pulled her hair a few times, and I listened in on Linda and Joanne over our phone's party line, but that didn't have anything to do with school. My parents continued by telling me that they felt I needed to go to a school for blind kids up in Lansing, Michigan. I was shocked. I never thought of myself as being blind. I proclaimed, I'm not blind. I can see. I started crying, and through my tears I said, I'll try harder. I'll work harder. But I'm not going to any blind school. If that's what they were going to do, I'd just pack up and live with Grandma. She wouldn't send me to some dumb blind school. Well, I ended up going to that stupid blind school. I started in the seventh grade at the Michigan State School for the Blind, and it was a difficult adjustment. I rebelled. In hindsight, I guess I was an instigator, getting the whole class of seventh grade boys to create all kinds of hell. We got Butch to throw a chair out of a window on the third floor of the school building. We got caught smoking in the science room. We created disturbances in the library. It was the last straw when I talked back to Mr. Flanagan, our homeroom teacher, and told him to shove it up his rear. He grabbed me up out of my chair and marched me down to the principal's office. Now I was in real trouble. I had to call my dad at work and tell him that he needed to come and pick me up because I was getting an extra vacation from school. I didn't want to tell him that I was getting kicked out. So I thought telling him that I was just getting an extra vacation was a more tactful way of putting it. He didn't fall for it. He asked, Where are you? I told him that I was a guest of Mrs. Zawarenstein, our school principal. He said, Put her on the phone. I handed the phone to Mrs. Zawarenstein, and she informed my dad that I was being expelled for a while and that he needed to come up and get me. It was almost 100 miles from Sturgis up to Lansing, my dad had to drop everything he was doing and drive all the way up to Lansing to get me. I had to sit in the principal's office until school was out. I kept thinking, what am I going to tell my dad when he gets here? And, oh man, is he going to be mad? And, am I in big trouble now? It was late that afternoon when dad finally got there and he didn't seem all that mad. Oh, I could tell that he was not really happy and we weren't headed out for a big celebration, but he seemed a lot calmer than I expected. I went on my extra vacation a couple of weeks before our Christmas vacation. I was allowed back in school after the Christmas break. I was a bit more under control after my extra vacation. My parents never did yell at me or say very much about it. I guess they could just tell from the terrified look on my face when Dad picked me up that getting kicked out of school was a learning experience for me. The school's administration decided that the best thing to do with my class to control the situation was to break it up. Not the girls, just the guys. Some of the guys got moved down a grade level, and one of the fellows got moved up one grade level. They probably didn't know what to do with me. I was a straight-A student, believe it or not. 
what the administration did must have worked because we didn't create nearly as much hell after that. Mr. Flanagan actually became my most favorite teacher. Not because he was the best teacher, he wasn't, but he was the teacher a kid could feel comfortable with when you were having personal issues that you needed someone to talk to about. Mr. Flanagan imparted something to me that I have never forgotten. I was having some kind of really serious problem, probably a girl issue of some sort. Mr. Flanagan told me, Remember this for the rest of your life. If you are worried about something you can't really do anything about, just forget it. Drop it. After all, there is no point in worrying over stuff you can't do anything about. But if you are worrying and upset about something you can do something about, then get off your rear and do something. Get it taken care of. That has stuck with me all these years and was some of the best advice I ever received. Mr. Flanagan died several years ago. So did our English teacher, Mrs. Peterson, and our math teacher, Mr. Newman, our science teacher and wrestling coach, Mr. Hetherington, and most of the other teachers and administrators that made such a major contribution to our lives. We didn't appreciate it at the time, but all of us now, when we think about our experiences at the Michigan School for the Blind, have fond memories. My class, the graduating class of 1962, was an exceptionally close group. We have held a class reunion every five years since our graduation. We started out as a class of 19 kids. Over the years, we have lost several of our classmates. Now we are a group of 10. When we get together, we reminisce over the good old days at MSB and share our appreciation of the education we received and our love for that stupid school for the blind. Because of that great fundamental education in English, math, science, social studies, history, and government, and what we learned from our experiences in music and sports, it allowed us to go on to be positive contributors to our communities. In my case, it allowed me to have an extremely rewarding career in business and as a university professor. I am and shall always be eternally thankful. My Mother Was a Braille Transcriber by Jean Mann Several years ago, after both of my parents had passed away, my brothers and I began the sad task of cleaning out the house where they had lived for over 40 years. Among the things we found were an old Braille slate and stylus and a print book of Braille rules for transcribers from 1958. My mother had learned Braille before I started school and was a volunteer transcriber for a group in Buffalo, New York, where we lived at the time. Before she married my father, my mother taught French and Latin. Since she was the only one in the group who knew French, most of the transcribing she did was high school and college French textbooks. Until an area Lions Club bought me a Braille writer when I was in third grade, she did all her work on that old slate and stylus. I was her proofreader. I, of course, knew no French, so we went through each page, letter by letter, symbol by symbol. It was slow and painstaking, and I remember the frustration when she made a mistake we couldn't fix, and she had to Braille a whole page over again. Once in a while, she got something in English, and it was a real treat to be able to read words and sentences and know what I was talking about. When I was young, there were benefits to having my mother know Braille. Instead of buying expensive decks of Braille cards, she bought regular ones and Brailled them herself. 
I spent hours with family and friends playing War, Go Fish, Hearts, Old Maid, and Uno. I took piano lessons. She'd braille my recital programs so I could follow along and know who was playing what. When I went to summer camp, I got braille letters from home, and she would tape a list of everything I brought with me in the top of my suitcase. When I entered the ninth grade, I left home to attend the New York State School for the Blind. I took my braille writer with me and wasn't home very much. The group she volunteered for provided her with another braille writer so she could continue transcribing those French books. I never proofread for her after that. About this time, I wished she had never learned Braille. We weren't getting along very well in those years, so when a Braille letter arrived, it meant she was angry with me about something. And then I discovered she occasionally read letters I received from my friends, sometimes before I saw them. I guess it was her way of trying to find out what was going on in my life. When I questioned her about it, she said she didn't see anything wrong with it, and she knew mothers who read their daughters' diaries. You can bet I never kept one of those. Eventually, my parents moved to another city because of a change in my father's job. The Braille writer went to someone else, and after 14 years, my mother's days of Braille transcription were over. The slate and stylus were put in a drawer and made rare appearances, coming out once or twice so grandchildren could take them to school for show-and-tell when they were learning about Braille. And one year I asked her to Braille me a deck of Uno cards for Christmas. She told me later she got that rule book out and it took her three evenings to Braille all those cards. I only found one mistake in the whole deck. I made sure to bring that slate and stylus home with me, although I did get rid of the rule book. They're in a drawer in my desk now. I may never use them, but they remind me of the many hours in those days when I was little, sitting at the kitchen table, proofreading for my mother. Help Revive Braille by Paul Edwards In January of 1809 in a small village in France, Louis Braille was born. At the age of three, he injured his eyes in his father's harness-making shop while playing with an awl. He had an opportunity to attend one of the very first schools for the blind in the world, which was located in Paris. Pupils at the school were introduced to print by learning the shape of letters. But there was really not a viable way for blind people to read. Essentially, blind people could listen to literature, but, for the most part, blind people in France and everywhere were expected to learn simple manual trades, which they often performed in enclaves set aside to make them useful, contributing, sheltered workers. A representative of the French military came to the school in Paris with an idea for a military code that used raised dots to produce recognizable messages that he thought could be used to communicate military messages secretly. Louis Braille took this idea and simplified it into what became Braille. It wasn't until the end of the 19th century that Braille became widely accepted as the most appropriate and viable reading and writing system for the blind. There were periods in the United States when moon type, a kind of raised shape approach, was the most common system. By 1900, the first Braille printing presses had been developed, but it wasn't till the early 1930s that a uniform Braille code was adopted that included contractions and became known in this country as grade 2 Braille. 
It was not until after the Second World War that the Perkins Braille writer emerged. Electronic Braille displays and portable Braille printers didn't emerge till near the end of the 1970s. Technology, however, was a double-edged sword. Just as Braille displays and Braille printers were arriving on the scene, synthetic speech was being developed, and suddenly there was a viable alternative to Braille that could be used to educate students in school and to create access to information for people who are blind of any age. Almost immediately, it became clear that the survival of Braille was under threat, and a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind was born to promote the use and safeguard the continuing relevance of Braille. This organization was, and is, called the Braille Revival League, BRL. Over the past 40 years, this organization, whose president I have the honor to be, has worked tirelessly to advance the interests of the system of reading this French village boy perfected almost 200 years ago. Our organization has worked with others to get laws passed in states to make it difficult for teachers to deny blind students the opportunity to learn Braille. We have worked along with the Braille Authority of North America, BANA, to assure that the rules for Braille are changed so as to make the production of effective, contracted Braille better. Despite its unpopularity with some, we championed the acceptance of Unified English Braille, UEB, which means that, for the first time in history, the Braille produced in all English-speaking countries in the world is the same. This will mean, with the emergence of new international copyright conventions, that Braille from these countries will be able to be shared. We have also encouraged the development of low-cost Braille displays and are now at a stage when a Braille display can be bought for $600 rather than the $3,000 it would have cost only five years ago. The Braille Revival League produces an award-winning magazine twice a year called the BRL Memorandum. We do Braille Buzz calls every two months, which explore all aspects of Braille. If you are interested in joining our organization, send an email to our treasurer, Jane Corona, at T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-R at B-R-A-I-L-L-E-R-E-V-I-V-A-L-L-E-A-G-U-E dot org, or call her at 301-598-2131. You can join for only $10 a year. Our website, B-R-A-I-L-L-E-R-E-V-I-V-A-L-L-E-A-G-U-E dot org, has lots of information about Braille and past issues of the BRL Memorandum. We need you. More and more producers of hard copy Braille are going out of the Braille production business. Many children in schools are still not being given access to Braille learning. Many adults who lose their vision do not get the chance to learn Braille. Reader's Digest, which had been produced by the American Printing House for the Blind in Braille for well over a half century, has ceased to exist after the September issue. The population of active Braille readers is getting older. We need to promote its use at the local, state, and national levels. We have state affiliates of the League in Texas, California, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Illinois. We would love to see other states create league chapters. Promote the use of Braille by working with or preferably joining the Braille Revival League. 
The Joys and Challenges of Learning Braille Below you will find a couple of short stories about learning Braille, its joys and challenges. Be sure to put your soda down for the second one, or you might end up like I did, laughing till your soda flew out your nose. Me, Science Fiction, and James Bond As a child, I believe that one of the greatest challenges and hurdles that I had to overcome had to do with learning not just how to read and comprehend Braille, but how to make it a pleasant experience. Let's face it, See Spot Run was about as exciting as trying to watch a silent film while blind and without the benefit of music. And then there were those rare occasions when my teacher would come to my desk, only to find my head comfortably pillowed on the book I was supposed to be reading. Then, two life-changing things happened simultaneously. One warm and sunny afternoon while in third grade, my teacher took me into this big, quiet room full of shelves filled with Braille books. The place smelled like paper and some other clean, indefinable scent. Before I knew it, I'd found a place on the floor between some shelves where I sat and read a book about an underground city and an earth that had been taken over by aliens from beyond the stars. I was so captivated by what I was reading that I literally begged the librarian to let me take that book home. During this time, I also met another blind student named Albert at what was then the foundation for the junior blind in Los Angeles. One of the things that I immediately noticed was that he was a serious reader. In fact, he encouraged me to start ordering books from Braille Institute. The foundation, which also had a large library, was where I found my first spy thriller, Casino Royale, and its iconic protagonist, James Bond. From then on, I was to remain hooked on reading for the rest of my life. What I did not know then was that if that person, who is still my friend, had not been there to encourage me to read, and if I had not gone to that library on that warm and sunny day— I might not have become as literate and proficient in using Braille. To date, this skill has served me well throughout my college and graduate school days, not only in taking copious lecture notes, but throughout my time as an instructor of Braille as well. Without any doubt, I would strongly encourage the parent of any blind child reading this piece to make sure that your child is taught to read and write Braille. Taking the time to do this will ensure that your child can be literate as an adult. Doing this will also help them to be educated, informed, inspired, and empowered by the written word and the kind of knowledge, guidance, and wisdom that only a good book can impart. Arturo Espinosa, San Bernardino, California Oh, that's an E, not an I. While attending the Davidson Program for Independence in Los Angeles, I was in a late afternoon Braille class along with half a dozen or so other students. I was fully engrossed in a story the instructor Ruth assigned me to read while she worked with another student. The story was called Message in a Bottle and tells the true tale of a man who placed a message into a bottle in England, sealed it, and threw it into the English Channel. The story followed the bottle in a world-traversing journey until it appeared on the west coast along the California shores. A few pages into the tale, I was reading of the bottle's difficulties in navigating the tidal eddies surrounding Shetland Island when I encountered something under my fingers which didn't make sense. I ran my index finger back and again, what I was reading didn't make sense. 
Apparently, my confusion caught the attention of Ruth, who asked from an adjacent table if I was having problems. I replied that indeed I was not sure what I was reading. Ruth excused herself from the student and came over to feel what I was reading. As she scanned the line and word I pointed her to, she read aloud, The Shetland Isle. I exclaimed, That's the problem! I mixed up the E with an I. Ruth took only a second to comprehend what I thought I was reading, and so did the class. I won't recant her retort to my mistake here as it is not fit for print, but it did manage to bring several minutes of levity, along with more puns not fit for print, to an otherwise oppressively silent session. Tyson Ernst, Springfield, Illinois In Memoriam, Lawrence W. Larry Turnbull July 31, 1970, through October 31, 2020. Lawrence Wayne Larry Turnbull, 50, of Traverse City, Michigan and Springfield, Illinois, passed away peacefully on October 31, 2020, at Munson Hospice House. Larry was born in Hollywood, Florida, to the late Harry Joseph and Catherine Ellen Fritz Turnbull. He graduated from the Florida School for the Blind in 1990. He went on to earn his bachelor's degree in computer information systems from DeVry Institute of Technology. He worked for the American Council of the Blind and was the director of ACB Radio. He traveled nationally and internationally to broadcast conventions for the blindness community. He also worked for Lake States Insurance in Traverse City. Larry spent much of his time volunteering. He loved to stay busy. He enjoyed spending time with friends and DJing for different radio stations and private parties. He was involved in countless groups and organizations for the blind community and held the position of treasurer for the Illinois Council of the Blind. Also, Larry was a devoted Democrat and was really hoping for a Biden win. Larry was very mechanically talented, and everybody always depended on Larry to fix things. He was a good, dependable human and loyal friend, and he will be deeply missed by all who knew and loved him. Larry is preceded in death by his dad, Harry, and stepbrothers, Harry Jr. Turnbull and Robert Robbie Turnbull. He is survived by his mom, Catherine Turnbull, lifelong best friend Rachel Schroeder and her daughter Delaney, stepbrother Jerry Vicky Turnbull, stepsister-in-law Jan Knox, his beloved guide dog, J.T., his cat, Bojo, and many aunts, uncles, and cousins. Private family services will take place at a later time. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to Illinois Council of the Blind, P.O. Box 1336, Springfield, Illinois, 62705, or Southeastern Guide Dogs, Incorporated, 4210, 77th Street East, Palmetto, Florida, 34221. You are invited to share thoughts and memories with Larry's family at www.reynolds-jonkhoff.com. Passings we honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name, 
first, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State slash province of residence, upon passing. Other cities slash states slash countries of residence, places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death, day if known, month, year. Age. ACB affiliation. Local slash state slash special interest affiliates or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Denise Marie Decker, March 9, 1949 through November 4, 2020. Longtime friend and change agent Denise Decker passed away on November 4, 2020. Denise was a member of the Partners International Board of Directors and a member of our District of Columbia and Virginia chapters. Denise began her work with Partners of the Americas in the 1980s when she was a disaster assistance officer for the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID. She then held an international fellowship with Partners in which she wrote and implemented workshops to teach independent living skills to people with disabilities living in Brasilia, Brazil. Partners then went on to use her workshop in eight other Latin American countries and awarded Dr. Decker the Program Development Award for her hard work and stunning contributions. Contributions in honor of Denise may be sent to American Council of the Blind, Care of Audio Description Project, 6200 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 155, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. Be sure to put Denise Decker Memorial in the note field. Patricia Pat McEnroe, February 14, 1938 through October 15, 2020. Patricia Pat McEnroe, 82, of Owensboro, Kentucky, died on Thursday, October 15, 2020, at the Owensboro Health Regional Hospital. She was born on February 14, 1938, in Bloomington, Indiana, to the late Lester and Elizabeth Hubanks. Pat graduated from Lexington's Henry Clay High School and Western Kentucky University with a degree in physical education. She taught health and physical education for 30-plus years at Owensboro High School and also loved being the coach for the cheerleading squad. As a member of Christ Community Church, Pat enjoyed singing praise and worship songs and looked forward each week to Bible study and monthly meetings with her blind group. Whenever possible, traveling was a great adventure. She visited more than 50 countries in her lifetime. Her favorite trip was to South Africa with Jim. She held numerous positions in the Women's Republican Group of Owensboro, Pat loved her morning read of Red and Rover and her favorite mutts. There was not an animal that she did not like. She never met a stranger, was very personable, and loved to write and receive letters. She turned her radio on first thing in the morning to listen to the oldies, and her television only worked on one station, Fox News. Besides sharing a special love with her husband, Richard, for 36 years, Pat adored all her poodles, especially Candy and Taffy. Pat was preceded in death by her stepmother, Nettie Hughbanks, and her husband, Richard Dick McEnroe. She is survived by her brother, Dr. James Hughbanks, Mickey, brother-in-law Terry McEnroe, Brenda, nephews Tim McEnroe, Courtney, Tom McEnroe, Mackenzie, 
Clark Hubanks, Sheila, and Bryant Franklin, Laura. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to the Tim McEnroe Scholarship Fund or the Humane Society. Online messages of condolence may be made at www.davisfuneralhome.com. Gary Francis Patterson, September 15, 1944 through November 16, 2020. Gary Francis Patterson passed away unexpectedly on November 16, 2020, following a fall at his home in Des Moines, Iowa. Gary was born with congenital glaucoma and aniridia in San Diego on September 15, 1944, to Francis and Walter Lampkin. At the end of World War II, Francis moved back to Wichita Falls, Texas, raising Gary until her marriage to Wayne O. Patterson in 1948. Gary endured multiple surgeries on his eyes to relieve pressure from the glaucoma before age three, eliminating the need to remove his eyes until he was an adult. At the age of five, Gary was enrolled as a live-in student at the Texas School for the Blind in Austin. The rest of his immediate family moved to Austin in 1952. He was a member of the wrestling team and the track team while in high school and was fluent in Spanish. He graduated as valedictorian in 1962. He then worked for four years as a piano tuner for San Antonio Music Company before attending Southwest Texas State College, now Texas State in San Marcos, for a year before transferring to the University of Texas in Austin. He married and moved to Des Moines, Iowa, finishing his degree from Iowa State University in Ames with a major in math and minor in computer science. He worked for 33 years for American Republic Life Insurance Company in Des Moines as a computer programmer. Gary had a subtle sense of humor. Once, when his mother came for a visit, Gary reserved her a rental car and insisted on going in to pick up the car. It was regrettable that he was unable to see the clerk's reaction to the blind man standing at the counter waiting to pick up his rental car. He continued his interest in computers until his death, utilizing new inventions for the visually impaired, a barcode reader, color identifier, so he could see the colors of his clothes, tabletop camera which fed to his laptop to read labels, and various voice synthesizing devices and mechanical reading devices. He was adamant and active in efforts regarding the retention and teaching of Braille for the visually handicapped. For many years, Gary worked in the Communication Center at the American Council of the Blind's National Conventions, keeping the Braille embossers running, often into the wee hours of the morning. By listening, he could tell which embosser was nearly out of paper and which was about to go haywire. He was a regular member of the Communication Center's late-night crew in the 90s and 2000s and could burst, collate, and staple the convention newspapers faster than many people. He enjoyed woodworking, sudoku, reading and cooking, especially Mexican food. He had an affinity for mathematics and had a voracious interest in money management and financial news. He was raised to be independent, overcoming many challenges from his lack of sight, and he traveled extensively. He toured the Baltic Sea countries and England by himself. Gary is survived by a daughter, Antoinette E. Smith of Cypress, Texas 
a son, John Patterson of Des Moines, Iowa, and four grandchildren, Theodore and Maxwell Smith and Riley and Willow Patterson. He is also survived by a sister, Anne M. Patterson of Denton, Texas, as well as numerous cousins in Michigan and Texas. Here and There Edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins the announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at acb.org, or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Survey by AFB and GDB the American Foundation for the Blind is working with Guide Dogs for the Blind on a 21-month research study to determine why guide dog ownership is much more prevalent in the United Kingdom than in the United States and Canada. What's your opinion about guide dog usage? Take part in a 10-minute survey at tinyurl.com slash yy numeral 4 bd numeral 2 G. Numeral 9. New from National Braille Press. Start the new year off with the 2021 Peanuts Happiness Is calendar. It's a print and braille calendar for all ages and includes all your favorite Peanuts characters. New to blindness and having trouble organizing your stuff? Take a look at Identifying and Labeling Everything, Recognizing the Items in Your Life by Judy Dixon. It's available in Braille, one volume, BRF, Daisy, or Word. Judy Dixon updates the reader on the revolution in identification and labeling methods ushered in by the advent of smartphones and related technology. For more information, call National Braille Press toll-free at 1-800-548-7323 or visit tinyurl.com slash y d x l c numeral three s a a c b officers president dan spoon first term 2021 3924 lake mirage boulevard orlando florida 32817-1554 first vice president mark reichert First term, 2021-1515 Jefferson Davis Highway, Apartment 622, Arlington, Virginia, 22202-3309. Second Vice President, Ray Campbell. First term, 2021-460 Rain Tree Court, Number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Secretary, Denise Colley. First term, 2021-1401, Northwest Lane, Southeast, Lacey, Washington, 98503. Treasurer, David Trott, second term, 
1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Immediate Past President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors, Jeff Bishop, Kirkland, Washington, first term, 2021. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, partial term, 2021. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, second term, 2021. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, first term, 2021. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, second term, 2022. James Crott, Miami, Florida, first term, 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, first term, 2021. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, second term, 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama, first term, 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, first term, 2022. ACB Board of Publications. Debbie Lewis, Chair, Clarkston, Washington, Second Term, 2021. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, Second Term, 2021. Zelda Gebhardt, Edgeley, North Dakota, Partial Term, 2021. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, Second Term, 2021. Penny Reader, Montgomery Village, Maryland, First Term, 2021. Accessing your ACB Braille and e-forums. The ACB e-forum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the web page in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 518-906-1820. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, NLS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 518-906-1820. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from https colon slash slash p-i-n-e-c-a-s-t dot com slash f-e-e-d slash a-c-b dash b-r-a-i-l-l-e dash f-o-r-u-m dash a-n-d dash e dash f-o-r-u-m.